Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 270 of the Naturally Nourished Podcast. Today we are covering functional approaches to IBD or inflammatory bowel disease. And I kind of can't believe that we haven't covered this topic as a full podcast yet, as this is a really big pocket of our client base and really some of our greatest success stories. So today we'll be covering both Crohn's and ulcerative colitis as there's a lot of overlap in our approach. We'll be sharing essential tools for remission, highlighting therapeutic ingredients, and of course discussing the microbiome and how it relates to these conditions. Yes, I feel like IBD and really just working with gastroenterologists was my first breakthrough when I was working at the Houston Clinic and uh, starting to bring functional medicine more awareness in that area because it was those GI docs that would literally look at colonoscopy scans and say, whoa, the epithelial tissue lining is repairing. What are you doing with this patient? Because in many conventional approaches, it's just steroids, block the inflammation, but no strategy of tissue repair. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so a lot of times, individuals that suffer with inflammatory bowel disease are going to be on long-term medications, many of them immunosuppressants, which can have quite severe side effects, including making a more um, vulnerable immune system, especially in times like pandemic, as well as infertility and hormone disruption and so much more. So we're really excited to share all of our successful functional medicine approaches and the way that we view this condition in a different way than the conventional field does. Yes. So we have plenty of episodes, as you guys know, on the gut and on autoimmune disease. Um, Episode 93 comes to mind, getting autoimmune disease into remission. We talked a lot about the stress connection there. Um, And we definitely hit on IBD in that episode. I remember talking about a bone broth fast, even like early on before we did the bone broth fasting protocol and episode and all of the things. Um, Episode 137 is also a really good one to go back and listen to all about the gut where we cover our 3R approach to gut health. That's remove, restore, repair. We've got 131, which is a candida and SIBO deep dive. And you'll hear today on the big connection of of Mm -hmm. candida and dysbiosis. 87 is the gut-brain access. 105, perfecting your poop. Um, We have 127 in defensive vegetables, where we talk a little bit about um, lectins and some of the compounds that are found in vegetable matter that might be you know, adverse um, if you're in an autoimmune flare, especially with IBD. We have episode 24 on way leaky back. gut, <laughs> way, way back. Um, and many more on dysbiosis um, connections. So I won't list all of the episodes, but if there's any other ones you want to call out, Allie, have at it. Yeah, I mean, we have another six or seven all on dysbiosis. So 131 was the Candida and SIBO deep dive. 
we have the dysbiosis disease connection and one of my more recent cleanses. I think one of the cleanses that I did in 2020 on episode 174. Uh, but we will link these all in the show notes. And also, uh, you could just Google search Naturally Nourished Podcast, Gut Health, or Dysbiosis, or any of these uh, key terms, and there should be some good stuff coming up. And then also note that the podcast lives on the website naturallynourishedrd.com, uh, so not where we have our shop and our programs on AllieMillerRD.com. That's where everything you'd purchase, like anywhere from a consult to a lab to a supplement and beyond, is at AllieMillerRD.com. But NaturallyNourishedRD.com still houses the podcast. And there is a search bar on there as well. So that's a great place to start. We always will tag key terms with each episode. We also have an archived webinar, I'm just thinking um, out loud, on our website um, all about the gut that I think would be a really good resource for um, those who, you know, are piqued by this episode today. So I'll link that in the show notes Or a family member with a new condition. And maybe let's just, to incentivize them checking it out, do a discount on that. Um, And so we'll do that at 50% off and we'll put the code in the episode notes. All right. Will do. Um, Any updates before we launch into things today? Let's see. So we are chatting almost at the end of the year, you guys. End of December. You can hear it in my voice. I'm ready for my (laughs) 10-day detox. Goodness gracious. It has been quite the marathon going on here. And um, beautiful event um, with the Women's Wellness Workshop uh, last week. And um, just needing to plug in my adrenals to an outlet and recharge Uh them for certain. (laughs) Almost time for hibernation mode. Yes, yes. Oh, so those last two weeks of December where we go into cruise control will be so sweet to just kind of buckle down with my family. But I am having so much fun still uh, over on Patreon with those of you that have joined. Uh, Just to give you a heads up on that, if you've missed the message we haven't talked about in the last couple episodes, uh, Patreon is a platform in which I can share free speech and uncensored updates on the pandemic, on cutting-edge medical interventions, uh, on research studies, and really just unfiltered truth overall. Also on Patreon is where I do direct messaging. So anywhere from someone messaging me to the fact that their child or husband has a scratchy throat and what is the one, two, three punch to use or do or what products outside of my supplement line we use in our household, uh, what form of colloidal silver throat spray and how... how, frequent to use and so much more. Um, I do direct message for the members that pay $5 a month. So literally like a cup of coffee once a month. Um, and that gives you three to five direct messages with me. Um, anything from questions on tweaking a recipe to again, a supplement adjustment in your household or an acute need, um, based on family members. So I've actually been DMing a lot in the world of inflammatory bowel with a lot of you. Um, and so patreon.com slash Allie Miller RD is where you'd go to sign up and you can sign up anywhere from $3 a month to just have access to the posts. $5 a month gets you three to five direct messages with me where you can specifically chat only with me. And then there's a $10 tier in which you can join in our live. We actually have a live this Wednesday over the lunch hour. And that's been really fun. We did our first one last month in November. And it's just like an Ask Allie Anything hour. And I do record that and send that off to the other $10 tiers. So you get to watch that and you could submit your questions on a Google form. 
Um, but it's a really great way for us to just have a direct connection and kind of next leveling that up. And then there's also a tier at $25 a month, which includes a VIP status, which gives you 10% off all of your supplement purchases. So if you are a regular supplement buyer and you don't like the subscription plans, which when you subscribe to a product, you also get 10% off, um, you know, that's an option for you as well. So go on over to patreon.com slash AllieMillerRD and check that out. And then coming down the pipeline, nowhere to send you guys for it yet, but our 12-week keto meal plan will be launching in about a month, um, so mid-January. Yeah, that's safe. yeah. That's safe to say. We're both <laughs> we're like, we're still working on it, yeah. um, but launching mid-January, the recipes are there. It's just a matter of like laying them in and, and making it look making pretty. it look pretty and all the things. Um, but we're super excited to offer that either as a one-time purchase or you can get it uh, blasted to you in like monthly increments for kind of a a more bite-sized approach. Um, Do you want to highlight a couple of the recipes that you're excited about? Yeah, uh, we've been playing a lot with uh, just just everything, having the inspiration on the platform to create 12 weeks is actually quite robust. Uh, so we've broken down all of our proteins, you know, based on protein type. We've had a lot of fun in the fish category. So like a red snapper that's pan seared with like a burr blanc sauce and grapefruit wedges and snap peas comes to mind. Um, really great mahi-mahi dish that has a garlic butter sauce over spinach. Super easy. One of Stella's favorite weeknight meals and just a quick like literally 15 minutes of preparation for that one um, and I would say the complexity goes anywhere from like a, a indulgent dish that would take maybe 30 to 45 minutes of prep all the way to, to 5 to 10 minute prep um, and 15 minute total completion and we did strategically lay this out so that we know some of you are still running around with kids events and sports and whatnot um, so that we kind of put like one more indulgent meal or more laborious meal if you will that you can calibrate based on your own schedule and then um, two to three kind of quick go so it might be like a, a seared steak and then you can always level it up and then we have sections in um, the meal plan also on metabolic flexibility uh, we have a bunch of butter compotes uh, so different like mixtures of herb seasonings and spices that then you can use as a way to meet your macros also as a way to just add on top of savory proteins or a delivery to get a therapeutic nutrient like uh, nutmeg butter which is great for a boost of lift if you need a seasonal mood boost during seasonal depressive disorder. Yes, super, super yummy. So stay tuned for that. Um, Last thing before we kick things off and very timely, I think, for today's episode, I'm sure we're going to talk a lot about bone broth. Yeah. But Fond Bone Broth is our sponsor for today's episode. Yes. So y'all know that we are quite obsessed with Fond. They actually also played a key role in our workshop last weekend where we had a bone broth welcome bar and I used their bouquet garni and their conductor in two of the dishes that I prepared for the workshop. Um, The conductor has that uh, butternut squ- butternut squash and chipotle and rosemary. So it sang really beautifully with my winter braised pork shoulder and just kind of brought that nice seasonal flavor. And then I added like garam masala and a bunch of warming seasonings. Um, but Fawn Bone Broth really is like a sous chef in your kitchen helping to elevate your flavor profile and giving you a boost of food as medicine. So we're getting all of the collagen and gelatin support for connective tissue, hair, skin, nails, as well as 
has gut integrity, aiding in that repair process, providing L-glutamine, that featured amino acid that we'll nerd out on today. And uh, Fawn Bone Broth really takes quality to the next level, literally from their sourcing of their ingredients to the way that they're cooking and the way that they bottle in glass jars. And the glass jar bottling is so fabulous because you don't have to thaw things out. You don't have to pre-think. Like anytime I'm braising down greens, I just pull one out of the pantry, pop that puppy open, pour a little splash, and then the next morning I get to start my morning with the rest of that jar of bone broth that I've heated up to sip in a tea mug. And um, I just find it to be an important vehicle for whole family wellness, as well as a way to elevate your flavor profile and really feel like pretty rad in the kitchen. Um, so go on over to fondbonebroth.com slash AllieMillerRD or use the code AllieMillerRD at checkout over at fondbonebroth.com. That's how you let them know that you learned about them through the Naturally Nourished podcast. And um, as always, that also is going to provide you a unique discount code. So you save and also they get that feedback that you're learning about them from us and they stay as a sponsor and everyone's groovy. All right, so let's go ahead and kick things off. First, just defining a little bit deeper IBD. So I already noted it's inflammatory bowel disease. That's what it stands for. Um, But let's distinguish just some of the characteristics and um, distinguish between Crohn's and colitis. Sure. So in inflammatory bowel disease or disorder, uh, this is a group of inflammatory conditions where the body's own immune system is going to attack parts of the digestive tract. So both Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis have an autoimmune nature to them and quite an inflammatory process. And most of the symptoms of both I- of IBD, both Crohn's and ulcerative colitis will be seen with bowel disruption, which can manifest in various ways. Inflammatory bowel disease affects as many as 1.4 million Americans, and many are diagnosed in their mid-20s before age 35. Um, As Becky mentioned, there's a huge connection, be that it is autoimmune, in transitions of stress. Mm -hmm. So we'll often see like a new mother with a diagnosis or someone that has a dynamic career change or relocation. Um, Anytime there is a remarkable impact on stress, this serves as quite a risk factor, especially with those that have some genetic predisposition. Um, And we do see more of a genetic trend of familial history in the Crohn's disease family. Um, And what's really interesting is in European Americans, there is a huge trend in the Jewish population. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that tends to seed. You'll see a lot of literature out there from the stress from the oppression of the Jewish population in our history. And so there's there's potential hypotheses of, you know, that really ingraining this epigenetic stressor, and we often hold stress in the gut. Um, I've also seen inflammatory bowel disease and all forms of gut duress really rise over these last two years with a lot of the unknowns of pandemic, and that, and that plays a huge role as well. Totally, and I would say... Even the teen population, I feel like I've seen that more and more as a trend, just younger and younger onset with, I think, all of the stress that high school students are are under or um, kind of early college is where I get a lot of my clients, I think, first starting out. Mm -hmm. And so it tends to be often we'll see a lot more with like type A individuals, Mm -hmm. perfectionists. Again, they're kind of holding on and, and pushing through the feedback of their body of the stress. And I think what also, Becky, exacerbates the impact of youth and teens now is the use of Accutane. We've talked about this in past episodes, but you know, the acne medication that is quite 
distressing to the gut and can really destroy gut tissue lining as well as prophylactic antibiotic use for acne. Um, So often we'll see individuals that are prescribed antibiotics for a long-term period of times and that can really disrupt the microbiome which can create more of a potential flare in the autoimmune uh, inflammatory bowel and then also uh, even birth control at earlier ages. Yeah, Yeah. it's actually listed now as a side effect, although they don't um, necessarily read that over with you when you're prescribed birth control, but you see in particular ulcerative colitis as a side effect of birth control. Really wild. And right, there's that dance of informed consent of, oh, okay, well, you have a painful period. Here's a prescription. Let's discuss the side effects and the cost to benefit and what we've done to support the painful period. So also, if you have a child or family member that's dealing with painful periods and is using birth control as a tool, definitely check out our many episodes. Um, We have one more recent on, it's actually called Painful Periods and Birth Control Updates, and that would be a really good one to dive into. All right, so ulcerative colitis is characterized by inflammation in the large intestine or the colon and the rectum. And then um, the inflammation in ulcerative colitis is going to occur only in the innermost layer of the intestinal lining. Whereas when we're looking at Crohn's disease, this can impact any part of the GI tract and actually more frequently affects the end of the small intestine at the beginning of the large intestine. So more upper in that colon area, in that transitional tissue from the small intestine to the colon. And the inflammation of Crohn's disease can affect all of the layers of the intestinal lining. So it can get more invasive and deeper. Yeah, so that helps to distinguish a little bit, I think, the the parts of the body affected. You mentioned Crohn's, like even um, impacting the mouth. So thinking about, you know, your nose, throat, mouth, like seeing um, canker sores sometimes as a manifestation of of Crohn's I've seen um, and, and an early manifestation before anything even happens in the gut. And then another thing that you'll see on a scope or a scan that tends to denote the variants, not only just the location and the Crohn's disease being higher, but also seeing that the Crohn's disease tends to be more patchy, whereas the ulcerative colitis tends to be more continuous. Mm -hmm. So once the ulcerative colitis occurs, that's gonna generally run um, from the rectum all the way into that area of the colon that's most affected. Um, Again, with the Crohn's disease, it would be more patches and the depth of the disease is going to be into multiple layers of the walls of the GI tract. Okay. And within the symptoms, there's there's a lot of overlap here. Um, So almost indistinguishable until you have, you know, a colonoscopy or another diagnostic tool to know kind of which is which. Uh, But let's go over just the common symptoms of of IBD as a blanket. Yes, and it's interesting because some, I will say, uh, IBD patients that are even in quite a flare state, like we'll see really high calprotectin Mm -hmm. levels, and we'll talk about the diagnostic um, criteria in a moment, but um, don't have as disrupted bowels as one would assume. Soon, right. knowing that literally the tissue of the lining of their gut is dist- is being destroyed. Um, but generally speaking, we're going to see quite persistent diarrhea. So this individual could be having anywhere between 5 to 15 bowel movements daily. Um, there's likely going to be some urgency. There's likely going to be some mucus and blood in the stools. Quite severe abdominal pain and cramping as well as bloating. Uh, There can be dynamics of weight loss and nausea or poor appetite. 
Um, and then there are categories, especially like in the world of celiac, which we won't technically put in the inflammatory bowel disease, but where we would see like growth issues and mm-hmm. development issues or just chronic fatigue. And maybe they have a little bit more of a silent form of the inflammatory bowel, but they're not absorbing nutrients in that very important tissue because we absorb specific nutrients along each part of the small intestine and then various nutrients are on the colon and the colon actually plays a role even in manufacturing nutrients. So we'll see often like anemia because of either the loss of blood or the deficiency of B12 and folate Mm -hmm. um, because that's really regulated in that colon space. Um, We can see brittle nails, hair loss, and other markers of nutrient deficiency. And um, we'll even see retching or vomiting in some. And like bone loss too, typically we'll see calcium deficiency happen kind of later stage as well. Yes, and and again, growth development, Mm -hmm. and that could be severity of cramping because of the electrolyte imbalance and so much more. Um, So let's talk about kind of the conventional diagnostic procedures for either Crohn's or ulcerative colitis. So I know we can do blood tests, and and often that's going to be the first line of defense, Mm -hmm. I think. Um, We'd be looking at things like C-reactive protein Mm -hmm. um, and looking at some of those inflammatory markers in the blood. Yeah, and we can even see, of course, with autoimmune disease, a variance in white blood cell response. So we might see a peak or a very suppressed white blood cell level. Um, We can also see in the red blood cells, of course, indicators of anemia um, based on that nutritional deficiency. Um, We can see platelets being off. So a general CBC would generally give us some information of something being off in the body. And then a C-reactive protein is the most common inflammatory marker once an individual has been diagnosed, they're likely going to continuously also run a SED rate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so often in the world of inflammatory bowel disease, they are going to be monitored both by a rheumatologist, which kind of manages the autoimmune component, as well as a gastroenterologist. Some right. will just be managed by a gastroenterologist, but often you'll see a kind of a tag team approach, especially if they are going to go on an immunosuppressant drug. Sure. Um, so uh, CRP and SED rate are the classic inflammatory markers in the blood. And then um, calprotectin is the most acknowledged marker of inflammatory bowel disease. And this can be run in the stool as well as the serum. Um, we know also that as far as the determination between inflammatory bowel disease of, of whether it's Crohn's or ulcerative colitis, the most standard approach is to look at a scope. So an endoscopic procedure, often they'll do both an upper and a lower to make sure that they don't overlook any mm-hmm. gastritis or any esophagitis. So any inflammation up in the uh, upper area following throat. And um, then we'll also look at that colonoscopy to see the large intestine. Um, And it's interesting now with advances in medical technology, they can even do a capsule endoscopy where the individual can swallow a capsule equipped with a camera and that'll take pictures as it travels through the intestine. Obviously, that's a little bit more passive. You don't get a lot of control Mm -hmm. as you would with a scope where you can um, take biopsies and get a little bit more detailed information, but that's less invasive, especially if we're talking about children and just kind of learning as an introduction level of inflammation in that tissue. Yeah, and then stool tests also could be performed and that you could see that calprotectin. We'll get a little deeper into the stool test we do in a moment Um, and, and some of the markers that we're looking at. 
Yes, absolutely. Um, let's talk conventional treatment. So you've mentioned kind of the steroids um, mm-hmm. and, and you know anti-inflammatories. Let's go um, in kind of the classes of drugs and, and what they're supposed to be doing in the body conventionally. Yeah, so immunomodulators, as I've mentioned, immunosuppressant drugs, immunomodulators. Um, there's a lot of TNF-alpha drugs out there that work on inflammatory cascades in immune modulation. Um, and then there are also, yes, corticosteroids, aminocyacylates to re- reduce the inflammation. Um, antibiotics are often prescribed and individuals might be going on an IV antibiotic in the beginning of a flare. Uh, there are various forms of uh, biologic therapy therapies. So I mentioned the, the TNF-alpha, um, but there's various out there now that can block various inflammatory proteins and reduce inflammation that way. And unfortunately, if the disease runs rampant and isn't addressed with enough time and there is severe tissue damage, this is where we can see an ileostomy um, or removal of part of the colon. Um, There's a proctocolectomy, which is a surgical procedure that would remove the colon, rectum, and anus, and then we'll create an end ileostomy, which will allow waste to exit the body through an ostomy bag. Um, So pretty much removing that part of the tissue. It becomes tricky, though, with the world of electrolyte regulation, B vitamin regulation, and keeping the microbiome balanced in this individual is a really vigilant, proactive approach because you're creating an external impact of bacterial exposure. So certainly procedures that we want to get way ahead of in terms of of treatment. And the important thing to recognize, I think, in all of these conventional approaches, you know, we're seeing that these are autoimmune diseases and the immune system is kind of upregulated and attacking the body's own tissue. Mm -hmm. And um, the conventional approach is just shut down the immune system block the inflammation, put up a dam, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about more the functional approach and, and how we would approach that differently kind of from the get-go. Yeah, so we do use that classic 3R approach, classic in the world of functional medicine. And so that stands for remove, restore, repair. And in the world of remove, um, we're looking at what is driving inflammation unique to that individual's immune response. If we could get that level of information, we can really put the lighter fluid out and then help to rebuild the foundation of the home, if you will. So this is really where the MRT test, that mediator release test, inflammatory uh, panel that looks at 170 foods and chemicals provides us such guidance unique to that individual's surveillance system or immune system response. And remember, the MRT test, what sings in that beyond the ALCAT or Everly or any of these standard out there um, IgG or food sensitivity panels is that the mediator release test is actually looking at the prostaglandins, the cytokines, the inflammatory mediating chemicals that are released in response to the foods and chemicals that are tested. So your blood is drawn, they segregate this into 170 samples, and then they induce these compounds and they look for 
a white blood cell response and a chemical inflammatory response. And that's how you get your data of what is highly reactive and moderately reactive. This is important because you could have an elevated IgG immunoglobulin tagging without an inflammatory response to a food. So if you're eating almonds daily, you might see an elevated IgG response to almonds, and that might not be something that has any role in a flare with your inflammatory bowel disease. However, the MRT test will absolutely identify things that are driving inflammation in your body. And so again, rather than building that dam with corticosteroids, we want to reduce the water buildup in general by reducing the irritants that your immune system has to determined to be kryptonite or damaging compounds. Yes, and that's often the first go-to, I think, when a patient comes in with mm-hmm. you know diagnosis of, of IBD. And then a stool test would be kind of the other big piece of that. Um, mm-hmm. I like to run a stool on anyone that has known IBD versus just starting with a cleanse because I want to know, like, what am I targeting? What am I hitting? And especially if they haven't had their calprotectin run recently, yes. I want to know where that's at before I start kind of poking the bear and, and messing with things. Same thing with secretory IgA, yeah. which is a marker we get in our stool test, which looks at the mucosal membrane. So you want to know the level of tissue damage before you go in with a preemptive cleanse, mm-hmm. generally speaking. Um, but if we're at the level of not being diagnosed and having gut right. drama, yeah. I think doing the yeah, beat yeah. the bloat cleanse is a great way to plow the microbiome and then reseed right away with that bacterial rebuild bundle and that can really help to reduce the severity of symptoms as you're waiting on diagnostics and and lab data. So it kind of just depends on the pathology or the progression of disease in the individual. And I would say an early onset individual, I'd go I would go immediately into that beat the bloat cleanse mm-hmm. just to kind of start to get at the gut and um, <clears throat> rework imbalance, which is very likely. Um, we also look at in the world of remove just kind of structural functional. So what are dietary irritants? So absolutely, we're going to remove gluten and corn. Um, We know that these are highly inflammatory and we know that the lectins in gluten can be quite distressive to the epithelial tissue or the fine uh, cells that line the gut lining. So this is an area where there's really no negotiation and 100% gluten-free. Even if you're in a remissive state, you're going to need to maintain that diet. And for many, also corn is required. Um, And for some, they have to remove dairy as well because of that casein connection of inflammatory response. And it's so wild. I was reading kind of some of the conventional approaches to diet as I was putting this together. And um, one of the foods listed that was a safe food during a flare was white bread. And I was like, come on. Oh my goodness. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Both yeast and yeah. gluten. Yeah. Goodness so that's, gracious. That's like a never food too. I feel like if, if you've got IBD, I don't think it's worth messing with gluten ever again. No, absolutely. I would agree with that. Yeah. And then we can even get tighter in the world of this is where, um, you know, Becky mentioned that resource of indefinite of vegetables podcast um, you know you might if you're in a flare mode this is the time where we do say yeah it could be appropriate to go back to like a keto carnivore approach or the specific carbohydrate diet mm-hmm. or the SCD um, so the SCD came out now oh goodness probably a decade and a half or two decades ago um, Dr. Natasha McBride had a great role in this with the brain gut connection and the specific carbohydrate diet removes any fermentable polysaccharide, oligosaccharide, um, any of the fermentable carbohydrates that bacteria could 
use as fuel and would continue that manifestation of dysbiosis and imbalance of fermentation in the bowels. And so the specific carbohydrate diet, um, especially when paired with like a Weston A. Price approach, is very comparable to like a keto carnivore mm-hmm. in the sense that in the sense that it starts actually with bone stock, then uh, bone broth, so a little bit shorter cooking time in the beginning to not have too high of histamine. Then you work your way up into bone broth. Uh, proteins are unlimited as long as they're quality sourced, as are quality whole food fats. Um, but the vegetable intake is completely removed until we get into a remissive state, as well as all grains, as well as all legumes, as well as all sweeteners and so forth. And then there's kind of stepping stones into SCD safe foods and whatnot. And I will say that's where the nuance of, I've worked with many um, individuals that have had great success with the SCD diet, but that's where then the MRT test can really help to create that more individualized approach beyond the umbrella approach. And especially as we watch that individual's stool and check in on their microbiome, they may do better actually over time bringing in the tannins that that are in berries and bringing in some of the inulin that is in asparagus um, to actually help as a prebiotic once the gut flora has been repopulated and is in a nice state of balance. We actually do for sustainable approach then want more complexity in the diet. And that's where I always think of like the keto carnivore approach as something that yes, removes lectins and oxalates and many irritants and inflammatory compounds. But over time, we want to repair, rebuild, rebalance, and then create a more diverse diet for sustainable outcomes. Right. And and worth saying too, that the reason the SCD likely works is because there's dysbiosis in the first place. And, and yes. FODMAPs, there's a lot of overlap with that. Uh, that's also often used in, in IBD and mm-hmm. IBS world. Uh, but the reason that we're reacting to those foods is likely that the microbiome is off. So it's worthwhile doing, you know, SCD and then layering on some of those antimicrobial compounds on top of that. Yeah. And that's a part of the remove. So totally. whether you're just jumping right into the beat the bloat cleanse, which uses the berberine boost, which has the Coptis golden thread in there, as well as berberine and Oregon grapefruit, um, combined with the herbal immune, which is the thyme, oregano, lemon balm, and sage blend. Those are the two main antimicrobial, antifungal, antiparasitic. And for some, they'll need to layer in the GI reset, um, which has then the black walnut hull, the caprylic acid, um, a little bit more of an aggressive tool if there has been long-term dysbiosis or we really need to get deep into there. And then um, we always include in the Beat the Bloat bundle the ultimate detox as well as the GI cleanup. And the GI cleanup is a unique probiotic that has phagocytotic properties. Basically, it can um, break away at bacteria biofilms, creating kind of space for the cleanse to tap into resistant bacterial overgrowth, as well as the ultimate detox playing a role to remove debris from that pathogen die-off. And so we really need to support detoxification to eliminate toxins. And many individuals that are in a bowel flare, I'll put on the Reset, Restore, Renew detox packs, especially if they've been in the hospital setting and they've mm-hmm. been on various forms of drugs um, we're, and they've even um, you know done a scope. We want to support detox process following a scope. But the detox packs also support that biliary system with the liver gallbladder. Mm-hmm. And that in itself can actually help with bowel formation as well as reducing the inflammatory response from 
the debris. And I will say in just the timeliness of all of this, I have had so many patients that were in a remissive state with inflammatory bowel disease, um, but with the mRNA vaccine had a Mm -hmm. big dynamic flare. Many that even decided with their medical team to not go forward with the second shot within that six-week window because there was a marked 24 to 36-hour impact from that injection to having a dynamic bowel flare. And that's where we're using a lot of detox pack as well to help their lymphatic system get rid of that hypervigilant inflammatory immune mediated response because the immune system's like what the what Uh and it just goes into attack mode and that area of the colon or intestines is what gets really hit hard in this population yes yeah that's a really good point i've seen that clinically as well as well as with some of my hashi's patients like their markers going out of control when we've had them under control for years. Yes. And then, you know, beyond, um, before we get into restore, the other thing in remove, which would be beautiful if we could all do it, um, would be removing the stressors. Uh So, you know, maybe not something as easy to approach, but this is where you could layer in like the importance of the calm and clear, um, which has, of course, that L-theanine, the B vitamin blend, the ashwagandha in there, the German chamomile. Um, there is a lot of research on nervines and adaptogens being supportive for inflammatory bowel disease. And that's because they mediate that immune attack that is driven by chronic stress demand or imbalanced stress response. So I think calm and clear and adaptogen boost are powerful tools excuse me, tools in this population as well. Um, Relax and regulate is one that I kind of tread lightly with Mm -hmm. only because if you're having a lot of bowel elimination, this could create more bowel response. Um, There is citric acid in our relax and regulate. Um, It is not derived from corn. It is third-party tested for mold. I've I've had a couple questions on that recently. You guys are good to be savvy. That's awesome. We would never put anything out there that had anything questionable. Um, The citric acid in relax and regulate is derived from molasses. So not worried about GMO, not worried about that black mold that we see with the corn derived citric acid and everything is a single ingredient. And then a final product is third party tested for potency, purity, and toxicity, which includes the whole mold assessment. Um, But the citric acid in there does aid with the bioavailability of the magnesium bisglycinate and the myo-inositol. And for some individuals that are having reactive bowel flare, that could exacerbate that. So that's where I'd really go more for like the Calm and Clear and the um, Adaptogen Boost and the Gabacalm. Gabacalm is one that's been really powerful in the inflammatory bowel because it just kind of takes out that excessive peristalsis of the gut, which often responds to like, if you think of butterflies in the belly, Mm -hmm. that's peristalsis. That's this involuntary neurological pumping from your autonomic nervous system and often that is what will manifest during flare times yes and and once you know bowels are more under control i think relax and regulate can be a great tool because i often see magnesium deficiency due to you know that electrolyte connection yes with the colon and we'll see like muscle cramping or charlie horses um so even like using that split up throughout the day versus like all at once i found that to be Mm -hmm. a powerful tool you know that's the great thing about the powder form is it's very flexible and dosing you could Mm -hmm. start with a quarter scoop you know four times a day and kind of work your way up yes okay so now moving on to the second r um so this is just one restoring (laughs) yes restoring optimal digestive environment right so we're thinking about like what does the body require for an optimal digestive environment and how can we provide that so we're thinking about kind of starting from the top down um, the digestive enzymes so we need all of the compounds from the pancreas 
that aid in breaking down carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. Also, we make digestive enzymes all the way up in our saliva and through the brush border of our intestines, um, but we really employ the pancreas as a primary component of production. And so when we're looking at a stool test, we actually get a marker that looks at overall digestive enzyme production from pancreas, and that helps us to determine whether we need to get more aggressive than our digest aid. But for many people, the digest aid enzyme product does the trick because it has a suite of all of the enzymes that are required to break down carbs, protein, and fat. There's also ox bile in there, which helps with bowel and stool formation and gallbladder support, especially essential if the individual doesn't have a gallbladder. And then there is HCL in there, which aids um, with hydrochloric acid to ensure that there is enough acidity, which can ward off bacterial imbalance and yeast overgrowth, as well as activate the enzymes that are required to break down protein-based foods. And for some individuals, if we see protein malnourishment in the stool, or excuse me, protein malabsorption, um, protein malnourishment, we're both going to want to ramp up the HCL and protein in the diet. Um, the naturally nourished grass-fed whey is a great tool for many because of the immunoglobulins in there. And the immunoglobulins have actually been shown to regulate lactoferrin um, and also cool and soothe that gut area. So that's a great thing to consider to get that amino acid status and optimized protein. Um, but if we see protein uh, malabsorption, we're going to likely ramp up the HCL even further um, to ensure that they're able to break down those protein-dense foods. Yeah. And then also in this restore world, beyond the digestive component of breaking things down so that things are less... And you kind of think of this too, the Digestaid um, product that we have also has DPP-4, which does break down the inflammatory components in dairy and gluten. So it serves as an insurance policy when dining out, if you were to be exposed for it to have less of an inflammatory response. And overall, when you take a digestive enzyme, you're aiding in kind of pre-breaking down your food particles so that you can absorb nutrients more effective and that the particles that pass through that tender intestinal lining are not as inflammatory or abrasive. So you're basically helping to create like a um, liquid diet approach, if you will. And often that's another approach mm -hmm. is um, doing those products that would actually rest from food sources right. and um, I can't think of the, the name elemental of the, thank diet. you elemental yep. diet yep. formulas where they'll do like upwards of six weeks of just these elemental products and widely enough a lot of the elemental products that are even through functional medicine companies have a lot of fructose have right. a lot of counterintuitive right. inflammatory ingredients so I much prefer just doing the bone broth fast and then using the MRT to see what foods are going to be most well received while giving you extra enzymes to break them down so things are received in a less abrasive form yeah there's an scd friendly elemental diet i don't know off the top of my head the name but still um not super quality ingredients i would agree like the bone broth fast is often a go-to when in a flare when we're like waiting for the mrt results to mm -hmm. come in mm -hmm. um and that gets us to our next r yeah or no did we, we didn't, we, talk, we probiotics. didn't talk probiotics nope. so the other world <laughs> to restore beyond the digestive is then the microbiome yeah so um, we're looking both ends in the remove of removing the imbalancing players. So this could be dysbiotic flora or yeast overgrowth or parasite. And in the restore phase, we're really looking to ensure that the individual has an optimized gut flora. 
And the targeted strength probiotic is definitely the go-to here. Um, and this is one that's just a non-negotiable for anyone with inflammatory bowel disease for life, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, the lactobacillus and CMF and um, the bifidobacterium BI, I believe it's 05, those specific strain... Seven. Oh, seven. Thank you. I don't know why um, I know that. <laughs> good for you. Go mom brain. Um, yeah. But the, the bifidobacterium and the lactobacillus in that formula are the same strains that are in the Restore baseline probiotic, but in a 60 billion versus 15 billion colony forming unit delivery. And these are the two well most researched compounds that are favorable for gut flora health and inflammatory bowel disease remission. And for most in this population, I'm also going to have them on the Rebuild Spectrum probiotic, which has the multi-strain bacteria, including Lactoplanetarium 99 in there, Saccharomyces boulardii in there. Um, That's going to prevent against dysbiosis setting up camp. Also, the Lactoplanetarium has been shown to support gut integrity and gut lining, which finally takes us to the final R. So we talked bone broth. Um, What else in that world? And so that's the repair R. And so we're looking at now that we've removed the lighter fluid, we are making the optimal digestive environment. We're feeding the gut with all the good bugs. We really want to make sure that that tissue is um, intact and we maintain good elasticity, good tissue recovery. And L-glutamine is the star of the show here, and that's in our GI lining powder. Um, The GI lining powder is fabulous because it has three powerful players, but L-glutamine has been shown to be a fuel source and a building block to enterocytes. So it literally feeds the cells of our gut lining and aids in the repair process. Um, Bone broth provides a good source of L-glutamine, but nothing like you would see in our GI lining support. Um, Individuals that, again, are inflammatory bowel disease individuals are on GI lining support for life and should be provigilantly upregulating this at times of higher stress, um, at any indication of bowels going off, at any time where they're consuming alcohol um, or a dietary irritant. It's um, a way to really kind of coat and seal the gut lining so that there's less insult or injury. And the GI lining support comes with aloe and DGL, which we'll nerd out about in a moment. And then collagen and gelatin, which you get in the bone broth, but using these in your tea um, or as a daily supplemental tool, great for that connective tissue support. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I always get the homework of like making a weekly gelatin in addition to your yes. bone broth to my IBD patients. Especially if in yep. a flare, I'll do yeah. the gelatin um, where we'll do that in addition to the bone broth fast. Yep. And that's a nice cooling delivery yep. as well. Okay. So we've talked a little bit about assessment in terms of the conventional world and, and how you get diagnosed. Let's just um, cover the markers of calprotectin, lactoferrin, and lysosome. And this is all from our doctor's data stool test. So our, our stool test that we perform includes this really nice suite of three inflammatory markers that we can then you know monitor over time yes so calprotectin is the most acknowledged in mainstream medical world as well as in the functional medicine world and it's really the primary marker that helps us to distinguish between inflammatory bowel disease and irritable bowel syndrome or ibs Um, and this is really important because we know that ibd is much more severe and is life-threatening and seeing an elevated calprotectin would then indicate to a functional medicine practitioner that we would want to get a scope on that individual Mm -hmm. so that we could get staging biopsy and more detailed information on what's going on in their intestines and in their colon 
Um, we monitor levels of fecal or stool calprotectin about semi-annually minimal in an individual that's in a remissive state having healthy bowel movements, but it could be upwards of quarterly or even more frequent. And when I have weaned individuals with great success off of immunosuppressants or steroids or conventional medical interventions, I will monitor calprotectin quarterly until we're a full year out from that medication, especially if they're doing infusions and such. Mm-hmm. Um, we start to really stay very vigilant on that marker and then we'll semi-annually do more of the deep dive full stool panel but we'll just check in on that calprotectin to ensure that that inflammatory bowel is not flaring lactoferrin is a marker also in the stool that is going to give us indication of inflammation in the bowels Um, also this would be seen only in inflammatory bowel disease not in ibs and um, fecal lactoferrin allows us to see information on um, the level of inflammation, just a different snapshot than we would get from our calprotectin. Often, this is one that we'll see more elevated with reactivity, abdominal cramping, severe diarrhea, um, and we can see that this one can also be an impact where stress elevation can drive that lactoferrin and maybe not as high of an impact on the calprotectin. Then the lysosome is one that we look at as well. And this is responding more to an imbalance in the gut flora as an inflammatory response. Um, It tends to be identified in both, again, IBD um, and not in non-IBD GI distress. So all of these three can be clinical indicators of inflammatory bowel disease. Um, We see excessive lysosomes um, in areas of GI inflammation where we see secretions of macrophages, which are in the white blood cell family. Um, And this is showing that there's likely a battle going on. So we can see lysosome elevation if an individual is eating an inflammatory food regularly because the immune system is trying to essentially fight it or if there is that severe dysbiosis. Um, So this can be based on even um, allergen response or inflammatory response to food as well as response to pathogen. Okay, and then another big element of this stool test is the identification of dysbiotic bacteria, yeast, parasite. I think every time I've run this stool test on someone with IBD, something big comes back. It's either a really high level of commensal bacteria and like very little lacto and bifido or actual, you know, identifiable pathogens in a high level. Absolutely. And so there's a whole page on the microbiome and it's categorized in right the good, the kind of neutral or wildflowers, which we call the commensal and then the dysbiotic. And so getting that data is really empowering because also in the stool, we're able to see if a dysbiotic uh, pathogen was found what compounds in that lab were best used to battle it. Mm -hmm. So maybe we see a higher susceptibility to grapefruit seed extract instead of oregano. And so we're going to be then mindful in getting very strategic with the cleanse. Now, as we've talked about in that SIBO and dysbiosis episode, often the berberine and oregano oil and the sweet that we have in our Beat the Bloat cleanse are the most frequent players that will do the deed. Um, But when we're talking about inflammatory bowel disease, we tend to also need then a really individualized approach specific to their gut flora. And that's where we could employ five, six, seven different formulas even on top of that. Yes. And and it's pretty well recognized, I think, in the clinical literature at this point that individuals with IBD have a pretty marked um, disruption of their gut microbiome. So increased levels of E. coli as one example. Mm -hmm. Um, and decreased levels of other beneficial bacteria. 
And often there's an impact when we look at the chronic inflammation inducing oxygen levels mm-hmm. in the gut. So we'll see an increased oxygen levels in the gut, which creates an imbalance mm-hmm. between um, the obligate and the uh, faculative anaerobes in the gut. Um, and you'll see study after study where they'll name different species, different strains. Again, we've seen trends that are across the board very individualized, but that's where you, when you go in and you kind of plow the microbiome, you're addressing the dysbiosis comprehensively and then reseeding with those known good strains. Um, but there's study after study. We'll link two of the more powerful ones, which show various um, assessments of bacterial dysbiosis and uh, remission or improvements when we've seen individuals treated with probacteria. Yes, and and often that's overlooked. I feel like a lot of the time, even by the GI docs, sometimes Mm -hmm. we'll see um, patients on the VSL-3 probiotic, Mm -hmm. um, which that has pretty strong um, literature out there being as effective as some of those medications that we talked about. Uh, But it often gets overlooked completely or they're not on a probiotic at all and they're on, you know, Humira or steroids. And I'm like, we missed something. We got to back up. Right. And, um, you know, when we look at the formulas and the, again, positive strains, that's where you're getting with the targeted strength and the rebuild spectrum. Um, and so when we're looking at all, all research, I, I believe that I just heard a study that it was like 40% of research studies are, they don't have to disclose, but pharmaceutical companies fund them right. through academia. And so that gets diluted in the conflict of interest, but we know that there's that seeking. And so difficult to find, but definitely out there. And the lacto and bifido have been shown to be as effective as Lialda. Yeah, I think that's a really good point that the VSL-3 is still, you know, a pharmaceutical. It's made by VSL Pharmaceuticals, Inc. Um, so we'd prefer, and I, I always do switch over to targeted strength. I actually think it's less expensive anyway. Um, we know it's made in the USA and has been third-party assessed, and you're going to get that same beneficial outcome. With the blend of the rebuild yes. spectrum and the targeted yeah. strength. Yeah, yeah. And usually one of each does the trick that brings you up to a solid 90 billion colony-forming units. And often if an individual needs a double hit of the targeted strength, they will do that. Mm-hmm. And so they'll get 120 in the targeted strength and then the additional 30s. So then yep. they're hanging out at that 150 billion and over time can kind of get back to that one. Yep. All right. Let's go down the rabbit hole of a couple of our favorite therapeutics. Um, we talked about glutamine a little bit. Um, so this one has been pretty widely Research absolutely. I mean, beyond the enterocyte nerdy part that I mentioned of feeding the gut cells, glutamine actually can have a significant impact on histology results. Like I said, that's where the doctors are like, "What are you doing Mm -hmm. in this individual?" Because it does reduce oxidative stress and cytokine production, and downregulates your NF kappa B pathways. Um, So there's both the inflammatory mediating response of L-glutamine. There's that epithelial integrity basically true gut repair Um, and getting a dose of about 3,500 milligrams is required to see clinical outcomes. We will link a research study that demonstrates um, successful outcomes with inflammatory bowel disease. Um, And generally speaking, again, if someone's in a flare, I'm putting them at three scoops. Each scoop is 3.5 grams or that 3,500 milligrams. And I'm putting them upwards of, you know, over 10 grams of L-glutamine with that three scoops uh, daily to really just bring things into a coated, protected state. Many in a remissive state will still stay on two scoops daily instead of just one. 
Um, and again, you can go upwards of six scoops um, a day. And so you could do like three at bed, two at rise, one midday. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, you're just delivering the nutrients that reduce that inflammatory response and repair the gut lining. And what's more is there are also two other therapeutics in our GI lining support, aloe, um, which has been shown in research study to actually help with uh, inflammatory bowel disease as well. Um, and this is very mucilaginous or a fancy word for oopy goopy. And it is very anti-inflammatory and has been shown in studies with inflammatory bowel to actually aid with improvement in hemoglobin platelet count, um, sed rate reduction, CRP reduction, and albumin levels um, restored. So that's a marker of protein deficiency in the body. Um, So this is one that can work very successful and was done in a uh, double-blind randomized clinical trial and had great outcomes when compared to placebo. And we include that aloe in our GI lining support, as well as DGL, which stands for diglycerized licorice root. So licorice is another anti-inflammatory mucilaginous or soothing herb and um, very anti-inflammatory combined with the aloe. And uh, the glycerin itself provides a sweet or kind of like an anise flavor profile, which people either love or are on the (laughs) fence with. Um, But that itself also um, in the licorice is going to have antioxidant, anti-inflammatory support and antimicrobial properties. So the GI lining itself can also protect against that dysbiosis with consistency of use. And our product is um, deglycerized, meaning that um, we remove some of the glycerin so that there is not the adverse blood pressure or cortisol impact that we could see from just pure licorice root. Totally. And then you can pulse up on that versus if you were taking pure licorice, that might have a big cortisol hit. <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't want to do that before yeah. bed by any no. means. So the GI lining support is a fabulous suite. Um, like I said, two to three scoops is what we do in this population. Could go upwards of six at times of flare. And um, really successful clinical outcomes. And the primary star of the show is that L-glutamine, but all three players work really well. I want to address too, like I said, with the citric um, acid Mm -hmm. in the Relax and Regulate, there are natural flavors in the um, GI lining support. And, um, then, you know, whenever we're, we've also been trained to think natural flavors means corn or something right. bad, um, the natural flavors in our GI lining support are actually vanilla and nutmeg. Um, they just add to kind of soften the, uh, flavor profile of the potent herb and, um, the L-glutamine amino acid. And so, um, really, uh, still a really, really safe and, um, successful suite of ingredients that work well together. Yes. And good on you guys for like doing your homework and being like, Hey, what's the citric acid? What's the I natural know, flavors? I'm, I'm proud of our podcast listeners and how far you guys Very have come pro- and asking questions. Pro-vigilant. <laughs> and for me, I'm someone that uses both relax and regulate and GI lining support every night. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll double down on the, the GI lining support if my gut feels off or touchy, but I'm one of those that again, just puts the scoops direct in my mouth and just follows with water. Um, I don't like to make a tea out of it or a slurry even, just kind of low maintenance gal in that way. But a lot of you like to add it to your evening tea um, and like that like anise flavor profile and that would be fine. There's no heat concern in that. Nope. Nope. And and I do both in a tiny bit of water. I can't do the powder thing, but (laughs) either way works. Um, We always get that question too, if you can take them together. So yes. Um, And then turmeric is another like big time go-to in this population. So there's one study that I'll link. Curcumin has bright prospects for the treatment of inflammatory bowel 
disease um, where we saw favorable changes in cytokine profiles um, in some of these you know pro-inflammatory um, responses yes and so uh, super turmeric is really a go-to here as well and one that I do maintain as an alternate mm-hmm. to steroids and I will upregulate or updose if someone's weaning off of steroids yep. because it's like that dam wall's coming down. So again, we want to use the MRT to reduce the water buildup of what drives the inflammatory chemicals, but also we want to bring in some of those powerful, potent anti-inflammatories to kind of stair-step that dam or at least support excessive inflammatory response. Um, So there was a study looking at 360 milligram dose three or four times a day, which is far surpassed with a capsule of our super turmeric. And um, we generally will do about three to four capsules of super turmeric during flare and that may maintain down to two to three as a maintenance. Um, but has played a big role in prevention of relapse or flare um, due to the inhibitory effect of the inflammatory pathways. And that includes even your COX-2, your TNF-alpha, your NF-kappa-B, quite broad response we get from the curcuminoids. Yep, and and we've seen direct response too on the gut epithelial cells in studies as well. So really strong player. Yep, there were actually... 53.8% of patients who received the curcumin versus 0% in the placebo group that achieved clinical remission at four weeks of use at that dosage. So that's quite compelling literature, I'd say, in that gold standard assessment. Yep. And then in that same world of really cooling, soothing, bringing down that inflammation, fish oil has also been shown to be a pretty powerful player. Yeah. And I want to address the reason for us having the EPA DHA extra in a capsule. And some people ask me about cod liver oil Mm -hmm. or doing liquid forms. Um, Really, when we're especially talking about inflammatory bowel disease, when we're talking about uterine health, when we're talking about muscle bone joint, we do see more clinical efficacy in enteric coated fish oils, which is how ours are encapsulated, meaning that it's able to make it to the intestines um, versus it drinking fish oil Mm -hmm. and it not making it to the areas of targeted tissue. Um, And so the enteric coated capsule plays a big role with ensuring that we get that anti-inflammatory EPA where we like to see it. Um, And there's a lot of clinical data that looks at efficacy of the omega-3s, EPA, and DHA in driving remission. Also, double-blind randomized trials comparing to placebo, seeing clinical outcomes in disease remission, and um, an effective tool in reducing the rate of relapse. So this is another one that I play as a daily go-to, about two to three capsules, similar with the uh, super turmeric, and also would go upwards of six capsules if in a flare. Um, The omega-3s also can actually be implicated to have favorable shifts with the gut microbiome. So a lot of double dip here. Um, So we've actually seen increase in the bacteriodites, um, which are often seen suppressed in the inflammatory bowel population. Yes. Um, And then CBD is often a tool that I will bring in CBD. And I've gotten a lot of questions recently about THC and inflammatory bowel. And there is some literature. Yeah. I think CBD is still like too new to the game um, for there to be a lot of direct literature on CBD alone. It's usually in combination Mm -hmm. um, therapy, Um, but we have seen at least clinical outcomes. I always put um, inflammatory bowel, um, you know, patients on Santa Cruz medicinals or another potent form of, of CBD. And if if accessible um, in your state and marijuana is legalized, there has been studies specifically on cannabis. Mm-hmm. So whole plant in the form of edible or vaporized have been shown to be very therapeutic in the inflammatory bowel. 
Um, and this is because when we're looking at the the um, endocannabinoid system um, and that enteric nervous system, there's a big interplay with, again, our central nervous system. Um, and we do know that that endocannabinoid system has um, lignans, um, which uh, amandamide, we've talked about that, I think in like one episode mm-hmm. of like that bliss factor in the endocannabinoid system. Um, but we have seen that the CB1 and CB2, the cannab- cannabinoid receptors one and two, um, actually can attenuate the colitis flare. Um, so there's impact on potentially reducing reactive oxygen species in the intestinal epithelium, also reducing that peristalsis and neurological excessive pumping and um, stimulus as well as decreasing macrophage production of nitric oxide. Um, I will also add in the show notes the um, Foria CBD suppository. I do have individuals during flare times to do that as a suppository daily um, to really deliver strategically to the colon that um, uh, endocannabinoid support for those mechanisms. And then you do at least, what, 100 milligrams probably of of CBD orally on top of that, I would think. Mm -hmm. Could do the 500 milligram even dosage during times of dynamic pain. Mm -hmm. Um, And then vitamin D is always a a big go-to with any autoimmune condition. Um, But particularly in, and I didn't know this, um, but apparently vitamin D can have protective um, mechanism on, on regulating those tight junctions of the gut um, so helping to heal and seal um, and obviously also having the anti-inflammatory properties that we always talk about yes so getting that antimicrobial support and aiding in that adaptive immunity regulating our anti-inflammatory t-cells and cytokines and then that gut barrier junction quite compelling i'm always ensuring that vitamin d levels are optimized because the prevalence of vitamin d deficiency in inflammatory bowel disease is about 40 Mm percent so checking your vitamin d status every fall before you get into that cold flu season um, really important and dosing with vitamin D at least probably eight months of the year for most of yeah. you is going to be very appropriate. Probably just using that vitamin D balance blend with also the K1, K2 because you want to be mindful. That's going to give you 5,000 IUs of vitamin D. Um, and so using just one capsule of that should be enough to do the trick to keep levels optimized and important because the colon is where we make that K2 that's based on bacterial fermentation. So because of the susceptibility to imbalance gut flora, we really want to make sure we get that vitamin K with our vitamin D so that we don't see calcification of soft tissues or unfavorable effects. Um, Let's just round things out back and come to a close with some food as medicine strategy. So we talked about, um, you know, of course, we could go back into these supplements and and incorporate foods. And I often do. um, So I often will do fish as an mm-hmm. option like in bone broth is one of the first biological proteins yeah, because it's, yeah, yeah. it's soft the large flaky fish giving you also a boost of omega-3 fatty acids skipjack tuna literally just eating a can of that keeping it super clean yep. not adding black pepper this is again during a flare yep. right um so skipjack tuna um baking a soy a, a soil filet a salmon filet <laughs> a salmon or um a raw uh, any form of a Um, wild caught fish and I would do cooked fish in the beginning for sure just because of that potentially um, imbalanced gut flora we don't want to you know do sushi and things like that that would stress the gut flora Um, so I'm a big fan of fish if you're doing um, a biological protein and then I follow fish by the naturally nourished grass-fed way especially because we often need calorie density so doing that with like a full-fat coconut milk that does not have 
um, the guar gum or a stabilizer in there. So looking at just like the native forests simple, which is just coconut and water, blending that with the um, naturally nourished grass-fed whey. Ginger root has been shown to be very effective as an anti-emetic, anti-nausea, also reducing inflammation and cramping. So putting some fresh ginger root in there would be fabulous. And then um, flax has some beneficial properties as well. So whether you're doing the phytofiber, which is in our bacteria rebuild product, or incorporating flaxseed into this smoothie and maybe like a little bit of a frozen tropical fruit, um, pineapple or mango or papaya so that you get that bromelain of that additional anti-inflammatory. And then if you have access to turmeric, you could add turmeric powder to Mm -hmm. that as well or turmeric root. So making it very simple, I wouldn't add greens right off the bat. Um, I would just keep one tropical fruit, that full fat coconut milk, the grass fed whey, the flax seed, and get all that gut loving. And then bone broth, bone broth, bone broth, like two to three quarts a day. And then slowly over time, we would increase our protein diversity, choosing, you know, one choice at a time. I often say mechanically kind of soft textures best. So like braised um, beef that has um, been slow cooked um, or like grass-fed ground beef in the form of like a burger Mm -hmm. patty because basically it's kind of pre-digested for you. So burger, meatballs, things like that instead of a dense steak, your digestive tract will just have to work less hard um, and that's going to be more of a rest for your system yep and, and those braises too are going to have more of that glutamine which is that oopy goopy delivery and and all of that goodness and gut leaven yes um, and so the essentials for remission is really getting in that daily use of the gi lining support each of the targeted strength and the rebuild spectrum probiotic the digestate enzyme with most meals, if in a flare all the time when you're eating, but otherwise at least your densest meals of the day so that you get that support in the digestion and absorption without the stress. And then um, with the remissive state, we like to keep on the two to three capsules of the targeted strain, excuse me, of the uh, super turmeric and the EPA DHA extra. That's kind of like the sweet to keep everything rocking and likely you need to layer in some stress support. And all of those are the non-negotiables with the vitamin D balance mm-hmm. blend um, in the mix. And then, you know, you might be leveling up as needed, but I have seen time and time again, people get cocky, they go in a honeymoon bliss phase, they pull some of those things right. out, they think they're yeah. not necessary, and then we have to really pull them out from the ditch again. So that's just my call to action. We'll put that in writing as a remissive plan. And for remission, I like to recommend stool tests at least annually, if not semi-annually, and the MRT test once a year. Yep. yep. And we've got our gut rehab bundle, which I think is a really good starting point that includes at least some of those formulas. So it's the GI lining support, the super turmeric, and the targeted strength probiotics. So you could get a little bit of savings on at least some of the things that you need. Awesome. So hopefully today's episode was helpful for you all. If you have a family or friend that is being impacted by inflammatory bowel disease, please send this over to their way. And we will also be linking again the gut health webinar at 50% off. Um, So go on over and check that out for a little bit of a deep dive of next level information and really bringing this to life so that you can be empowered with not just blocking disease, not just band-aiding disease, but getting into a true remissive state where you're optimized and thriving and living your best life regardless of diagnosis. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.